Hello friends, welcome to another episode of When I Was 13. Today, we are in conversation with Suhas Misra, who is an entrepreneur. Suhas is currently the founder of a health tech startup and was earlier one of the co-founders of the popular beverage brand Paperboard. In this episode, we will be exploring how Suhas got the idea to write the wonderful short stories on the Paperboard packs. Suhas will also talk about how he today would love to tell his 13-year-old self that marks and grades do not matter in the long run. What matters is hard work and effort. So let's jump into the time machine of When I Was 13 podcast and go back into the time when Suhas Misra was 13. Hello Suhas, welcome to my podcast When I Was 13 and thank you for your time. Let's begin with a quick introduction of yourself in terms of what you do currently and what you like to do when you have some free time to yourself. Hello Arushi, lovely being here and really like the idea of your podcast. So, I'm an entrepreneur and uh, the startup I'm working on right now, Tardigrade Health Tech, it is my third startup. I'm still uh, better known for my previous startup which is responsible for this brand called Paperboat. Yeah. Uh, that company is called Hector Beverages. Yeah, so that's broadly what I do. Uh, In my spare time, I like to read and um, I also have recently gotten quite hooked to podcasts. It's it's a new format for me and uh, so I think I spend at least an hour a day listening to podcasts and uh, hopefully on a good day, I get also some time to solve some chess puzzles. and I like walking. I uh, I had to lose a lot of weight because I was really overweight earlier. I still am. But uh, uh, so I walk a lot. And so podcast goes very well with that. That's the new thing. And otherwise nice. reading. Yeah. That's nice. Okay. So now I'll take you into my time machine and take you to the time when you were 13. All right. So do you have any idea which year was this? Yes. Yes. Uh, so I turned 13 in 1991. Uh, July. I was in class 8 in Lucknow. Uh, where I grew up. Uh, so, yeah, it was 1991. A very, interestingly, uh, the 13 thing is quite a coincidence because I think even, and, and I'm not just saying this because of your podcast, I think if there's one year in uh, our lives, like yeah. your parents' lives or mine, which we think of sometimes as like where a lot of stuff changed, yeah. it is 1991. Maybe not just 91, 90 to 92, broadly that period. But it is right in the middle of uh, this very interesting time yeah. uh, growing up in India. Yeah. When you were 13, do you remember which town or city you were in? I was in Lucknow. I, I grew up in Lucknow, so that is easy because I went to school there straight through for 12 years. In, briefly lived in Delhi for a year when I was four or something. Don't remember that clearly. So yeah, Lucknow is my city by default for growing up. Okay. So I do remember it. Same school. For 12 years, yeah. so yeah, very so, clearly like, remember. You were in the same school for a really long time, mm-hmm. and um, you were in the same school since nursery. So, uh, does that thought occur to you that if you had to change school, would it be really hard for you? I um, think so. When I hear of kids, like right now, my niece is uh, going to go to class one soon, and uh, so her school is likely to change. And uh, I've been uh, wondering how that will be because. I went to the same school from class 1 to 12, not nursery and uh, whatever prep it used to be called, and KG. Um, so, I think it will be very difficult, but because I've never gone through the experience, so I don't know its upsides. I just went to the same school, same people. 
some of them used to leave every year some new people used to come in but i never lived their lives so i don't know how difficult it was for them must okay. be but there must be an upside it must be yeah. exciting uh, to go to a new school uh, but i can't imagine it so i don't know how it is for people who do okay and uh, so now that you're a serial entrepreneur because you have done like three of your own companies right. then uh, so did you see yourself as an entrepreneur when you were 13 oh no 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 so uh, i mean so see this is the point so your generation and mine this will always be very very different so in 1991 for us there was nothing called entrepreneurship okay so i mean i don't think and i was pretty good <laughs> i mean I, i used to read a lot and uh, while i was, wouldn't come first in class or anything but i w- would get decent marks in mm-hmm. it but i was thinking when uh, i was thinking of your podcast that even with a decent vocabulary for a 13 year old i'll admit that but i am not sure if i knew the meaning of the word entrepreneurship so my grandfather was an engineer mm-hmm. uh, technocrat uh, worked for the jal nigam my father worked for the nirman nigam so and the big thing uh, would be uh, in my mind the aspirations were can i become a chief engineer or mm-hmm. can i become a general manager so uh, those were the two aspirations career wise in an abstract way also uh, you know it's a, it's like till I, i'm not sure if till that time everybody left these small towns okay so you visualized your future life probably in the same city yeah but now it is not so everything is much more mobile and uh, uh, so in my time i probably visualized a future in which i will be working for the government mm-hmm. in some engineering mm-hmm. kind of thing or maybe i don't know something else i didn't know and i would uh, probably be living in lucknow that is the imagined future you're not committed to it but yeah. that's your imagination uh, used to be that that's one of the things that changed in 91 i think after that because of liberalization and yeah. more options and suddenly things happening you know like which were dramatically different from how life was before mm-hmm. so so first you wanted to be an engineer and now you're an entrepreneur so like what what made you like change your mind like you mentioned liberalization but something else So see engineering uh, I hope it is not so now but at that time it was like it, it had already become default so when okay. it came time to do engineering uh, which was much later that is 1997 it, it had become the default option so the change would have probably happened uh, in the so the big exciting thing is uh, around that is much later in life when uh, the first dot com thing happened when we first discovered the internet So I think ninety seven was my first email ID, and uh, cyber cafes used to charge hundred rupees an hour in ninety seven. Okay. Um, and uh, that's when one started thinking of the internet and all these dot com companies in America yeah. becoming very big, and you suddenly thinking what is what is happening. And huh. before that, I think there was no idea. So the seed, if one has to trace it back, in my mind, is there was no conception of. uh entrepreneurship for me till 97 and uh, and that's when uh, it would have happened because of everything essentially that was happening in america and with the internet okay now we're going to go back to your school life yes please and uh, do you have do you have any idea who your who was your best friend and if you're still in touch with them so yeah so because of the you know long history from class 1 to at that time class 8 uh the same school so they would have i think because of that there would be a bunch of sort of best yeah. friends i think uh, I, I when i uh, hear this question i can think of four or five names uh, very quickly 
I am in touch on and off thanks to WhatsApp. Uh, and sometimes when you intersect in some strange way, you know, like whatever coincidence. But uh, uh, I think uh, I would be in touch with probably three out of the five names that I could think of. Uh, which means at least once a year some direct WhatsApp yeah. messaging. And uh, maybe once in two years has run in on an average. So yeah, three out of five, I think. <laughs> okay. And earlier you mentioned that you were part of Paperboard. Mm. You, were, you were one of the co-founders of Paperboard. Yeah. So Paperboard is related to a lot of memories as we can see through the flavors and the, all the advertisements. So mm. how, how did you get this idea and like when did you want to implement it into the world? So uh, that's a very interesting question uh, because uh, see memories themselves are connected to you know certain phases and this is this stuff you will find when later on you come across uh, the people in developmental psychology etc. So the paperboard memory is not necessarily from this time yes. because in 1999 when I was 13 at 13 the world is very different yeah. because uh, it is after innocence. In a way, like, I mean, so, and Paperboard is about innocence. So when I used to tap into my memories and my stories to, say, define Paperboard as a brand or write its stories or for social media or blogs and all that, and I used to do a lot of that, it is from the time when I was four to five to six years old, broadly. So in my mind, if it was after 1984, after 1985, we shouldn't write it. Okay. If it's my story, yeah. it should not be inspiration of a paperboard story mm. if it's after 1985. Because uh, when you, I don't know how it is for you, but in my mind when I was 13, it was uh, a lot of restlessness. You suddenly are discovering worldviews yeah. and politics and you're out playing cricket seriously. I mean, so you're out doing things as an independent person without necessarily the supervision that has accompanied everything you do. So it is that period in life, you know, roughly when you're 10, 12, 13, you start doing more things where you come home and tell your parents, often exercise the choice to not tell them. So in my mind, that is the shift that sort of has happened. Yeah. And when you're discovering various things, there are things uh, you know your parents have said you shouldn't do. But you are now contemplating them, mm-hmm. you are seeing people con- doing them and you are considering them. So, uh, the time of age 13 does not go into paperwork because paperwork has to have a more childlike wonder. Yeah. And 13 is more like con- some conflicts yeah. and this and that, a various, you know, in the head mostly, for, you know, uh, which is for good. But still, so it's, it's a more, uh, you know, as I remember it, if I have to think of one adjective for the year 91. Is more like restlessness, and uh, the paperboard is more like innocence. Yeah. So uh, for paperboard, I had to go back to a younger self, and also when I talk to people, I used to ask them questions like, "Tell me what you used to think, or how you remember things from when you were five, mm-hmm. because you have to be have a more childlike wonder, and you know, things that come with innocence." Yeah. So, which I, in hindsight, obviously when I was studying, I didn't know about any of this. Yeah. I was just one person in my mm-hmm. mind. But later on, when you look back, you start thinking of your life in terms of phases and yeah. what was happening when. And yeah. So, this is with hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight. But yeah. So, the paperboard story, to be honest, does not connect as much with that period, the 91 period. But 
very strongly with say 1984-85 in my mind. Okay. And also whenever I buy paper board, the mm. ring paper board, uh, there's also like a short story mm. at the at behind of the packaging. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like, how did you come up with that idea? It's very innovative and very creative. Thank so. you. So I wrote some of the early ones myself. There was no... Uh, later on in marketing, you generally get agencies to do it. The early stories I wrote and uh, I quite enjoyed writing them and I went back to real characters. So, for example, uh, when I was writing the first story for our armrest flavor, mm. I remember I wrote about just, it was just, you know, like these word, phrases thrown in together, saying a basket of mangoes, yeah. cousins, bare hands going for a didn't last and whatever and you know so that's how we used to eat mango and I mean because one I probably also because I grew up in Lucknow which is mango country eating mango itself was this thing like till a certain age my grandparents would say no 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 take off your shirt before you start eating mango because they knew you'll be <laughs> yeah, pulling at it uh, and it'll all become messy and so it, it was a very real memory because again of having lived in this same city for three generations like I mentioned a lot of extended family was there. So the cousins always had a very big role in life. So uh, so that was a very real story. I also liked this other one. So my class one teacher was Ma'am Edwards. And uh, so I wrote about her on one of the stories. Saying, uh, oh, Kala Khatta. I don't know which one is noun and which one is the adjective. <laughs> if only I could go back in time and ask Mrs. Edwards. <laughs> so she was actually my teacher yeah. uh, from... So, and when I wrote it, then I checked with my, someone at my school to find out how she's doing. Unfortunately, she, uh, she, she passed away at some mm-hmm. stage. Uh, but so a lot of those stories are from very real, my school. Yeah. Later on, when you get an agency, uh, like with most things, you need to have a system. You need to have a framework which someone else can take up. Mm-hmm. And in entrepreneurship, usually when you're doing the first few things, almost everything you're doing sort of in a way... Like with your hands, yeah. like you're doing it yourself. And then later on, it became about, you know, finding mm-hmm. a way to explain it to professionals who can do it. Okay. So, yeah. That's nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, earlier you mentioned that at that time, and I also know from my parents that mm-hmm. there was only, there was television, but there was only one channel. So only one channel. So, what would you watch? Uh, so, whatever the government wanted us to see. <laughs> so, so the, actually, this is the time, you know, 1990 to 92. I, if I have to think of when this whole cable TV thing happened in multiple channels, it was the first Iraq war. Which came live. And so in, uh, I mean, not live, but people who had it. My parents and grandparents were against the idea of us getting cable TV till both mine and my younger sister's board exams are done. Which were so long ago. <laughs> so, so we had to sometimes go to other people's houses, neighbors, whoever had it. And so I remember the, if I have to think of the start of this channel business in India, it is uh, the first Gulf War. George Bush Sr. Uh, he was the president and so there used to be this visual of the Iraqis firing a Scud missile okay. on Israel. Hmm. So you would see one projectile with the sound going and there would be, there was a missile defense system which was installed on the Israeli side called the Patriot. Hmm. So I remember those two words were very big in my in our heads. Like in school we used to have a lot of uh, slang also. Like while playing cricket or basketball, anything, or just talking, Scud and Patriot were words in our language because 
you had this powerful visual for the first time on TV, like one missile went from this side and the other one intercepting it, mm-hmm. and it was on CNN. Yeah. And it was mind blowing <laughs> because for us before that news was you know uh, half an hour in the evening or before you were going to school. Something is on on TV where mm. you know you have one news reader first in Hindi, then another news reader in English, reading clearly from a paper, or later on they got teleprompters and just talking to you and giving you very dull drab news. <laughs> now we, I mean, now you sort of miss it, given yeah. what happened with Arnab and Republic TV and all of this. <laughs> you sort of miss it because it was simpler. But at that time, when that change happened, things were suddenly so exciting. And the other thing in that this time that happened was that Delhi got a second channel, DD Metro. Okay. I don't know if Calcutta had it, uh, but um, so and Lucknow is between Delhi mm. and I mean it's more exclusive Delhi. But these are the two cities whose news you always get in okay. Lucknow. Because it's smaller than these yeah. two, so you know all the cool things are happening either there <laughs> or there. So you're in a small town, sort of not in between, but. You know, these are the two cities you talk more of than, say, Bombay or Madras. Yeah. Delhi got DD Metro, which used to annoy us a lot because when there was live cricket, suddenly it would say, "Now we yeah. have some programming. <laughs> this match is available on DD Metro." <laughs> <laughs> well, just because you are in Lucknow, you can watch it. Ah, Delhi will watch it. So, so there was one channel that was very annoying, and uh, but you know, sometimes um, from from this period. 1991, etc. There was some high quality TV programming also, like some good writing, uh, some TV series which were on Doordarshan. Obviously, a lot of people of my generation talk of Hamlog, etc., which were earlier in the 80s. So can uh, you tell us more about? So um, I think at this time, and you might have to look this up because sometimes these ears get a bit fuzzy. There was a lot of interesting British comedy which uh, Doordarshan was sourcing, okay. which was slightly later in the night and. But some of it has stayed with me. So mm-hmm. even today, when if some night after working, especially if I'm traveling and I'm in a different room and I'm, if I'm having trouble sleeping, I still put on Yes Minister or Yes Prime Minister. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to watch it because it has played so many times, uh, and I it's my going to sleep audio. <laughs> so a lot of these are are things that Doordarshan did, being the one channel. They still did better than you would think they would do. Is my point <laughs> in hindsight, but it was really bad. And we couldn't wait. Once you know the idea that if you get this dish installed, big big dishes, people were getting installed. The affluent people, and from our roof, we could see that oh, that house has it, that house has it. <laughs> and we used to think, oh, when will we have it? So we really wanted it. And then once you got a dish, there would be four or five channels. That was the. Uh, when you suddenly had four or five channels, you had uh, Prime Sports, uh, the forerunner of Star Sports, and suddenly you thought, oh, no, not just the semi-final of Wimbledon, I can start watching it from the first round. So, you know, like it had all of it. Or watch a test match between Australia and West Indies. Now, in India, we uh, only had Indian cricket. And that too, sometimes, some years, they would say, oh, we won't show test matches. So then you had to listen to radio, Find BBC, this, that, or radio. So in fact, in 1990, just before I turned, actually around that time, in June of 1990, no, yeah, so one year I'm mixing up probably, I'm not sure. Uh, when India was traveling to England, that is the last time I heard a test match on radio. I listened to commentary on radio for a yeah. test match. And 1991 onwards, one way or the other, 
all the sport you wanted to watch has been live and ever since. Yeah. So that was a pretty good time. Nineteen ninety one. That you suddenly, even if your parents are saying no, no, no cable TV, you could still go to somebody's house and watch a match. Or that was big. And there was a lot of exciting stuff around movies. Suddenly, all your movies happened. There was one movie channel. Uh, there are how many channels? I don't know. Seven hundred, six hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Some crazy number. But uh, that time we used to just long for these four channels. That if you got these four, life would be perfect. <laughs> so it was yeah, very interesting in terms of TV. Okay, so you had also mentioned earlier that you love reading. Hmm. So when you were thirteen, do you have any idea what was your favorite book? So when I was thirteen, I was making the shift reading wise from Hardy Boys. Which was an American mm. franchise, sort of. I don't know how many people wrote under Franklin D. Dixon, if I remember his name. Uh, so they had 120 books, and then that year they were doing case files, which was after the books. Like earlier they used to have books with some specific titles. Mm. Then they, I think, got lazy enough. Now I think <laughs> at that time they seemed excited. So they just used to say case file 14. <laughs> so, so, so I was reading. Uh, I. Had, I think I used to read one of those between three of us. We, actually, between two of us. One friend, his father was very senior in the police. He used to get a, because our school library was very good, but it was slow in getting new titles. Like it had all old classics mm. and everything. You know, beautiful collection, hardbound and everything. You know, very good library with a very good librarian who was very kind to me in in that period. Like because I would go and say uh, I want to take four books. You had a quota of taking one or two. And she would give special permission. I used to feel very good about it. So, so, but, but, so, but she couldn't get all the Hardy Boys because the school buying process was slow, and these books were still coming out. So, this friend of mine uh, used to get it from the police library, and he used to say, "You guys can have it only for two days." So, one of my friends had to read it on day one, yeah. give it to me. Yeah. I had to read it on day two, and day three he would take it back. Yeah. And he got us fifty books like that in that year. Wow. So we used to read in the class. Like oh. that book we used to read in the class, but it was also the time when, due to various people around me, my father, mother, etc., I was getting introduced to more adult literature. Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't call it, uh, you know, like very profound or anything, but at least making a shift from um, this Hardy Boys series or some Nancy Drew, etc., to uh, Alistair MacLean, uh, I think, and and. Uh, I think Ken Foley was probably someone I read around that time. I think I also read my first Leon Beauty book. Uh, that was pretty big. Like that was probably the first serious uh, book I read. He's not that highly rated. Like I found out when I grew up, etc. But it was a book about geopolitics and oh, okay. about this uh, Bay of Pigs crisis in America. Uh, he wrote a book I think called Topaz. That I think is the first proper book I read, which I Leon Uri is an author I sometimes still see proper full grown adult reading. So I think this period thirteen to fourteen is where I read some of the books which grown ups read. So that was a period again where that shift was happening from Hardy Boys to say uh, these guys Leon Uri. Maybe Alistair MacLean also is another big one. I I I had a big Alistair MacLean phase after Hardy Boys around that same period. So can you tell us more about uh, Alistair? Alistair MacLean used to be this. Uh, you probably wouldn't have heard of him. No? Yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> but he was quite legendary when we were growing up. So because one, you saw grown-ups read that kind of book. 
they had very exciting covers uh, and very exciting titles the guns of navaron and there were a lot of navaron titles something staying alive dead i can't recall a lot of elistomatic titles weirdly you know ice station zebra so there were you know like really exciting covers some hero on the front and uh, also in that period i think just before that i think my grandmother because she really liked gregory peck and so we watched guns of navaron so i watched it first then i read it and it was very exciting and they they used to be thrillers yeah. like uh, you know someone with a mission a complex mission and a lot of action uh, getting suddenly ambushed or such things basically mm-hmm. some underdog in a typically war context so they were very world war 2 okay. inspired books but uh, very well written very fast paced but that's the difference see until that time uh, one is reading to because one is really enjoying the story and then say why i thought the leon yuri shift was interesting is because suddenly a fictional a book of fiction is sort of telling you something about the world huh. so you are finding out oh what did kennedy do say you know what was happening uh, and then uh, you can ask someone that oh tell me about that and Yeah. it becomes an interesting Comment. faction a fiction and fact mm. coming together kind of that's right mm. okay and at that time there wasn't much of variety of food in india because mm. like right now there's no. so many cuisines and so many restaurants so uh-huh. like what was your favorite food at that time so i think 1990 or uh, uh, so is maybe 1989 is when i discovered when we discovered pizza uh, so 1991 favorite food i think would still be pizza <laughs> there were there were only two restaurants in lucknow that we knew of who made pizza <laughs> and uh, because if you if you went there it took them a long time to make it so yeah. often times my father would call the restaurant yeah. say we are coming can you start making two pizzas <laughs> so because i don't know why they took a lot of time maybe the ovens were different so pizza was big then there was this one uh, place in uh, lucknow called rovers Uh, which was a drive-by cafe, very cool. It has now become very uncool. Uh, <laughs> I felt quite sad I, I, because it's in a very prominent But, location. Uh, why do you think? Um, I, I I still think drive-throughs are like very cool. So so Rovers used to be just this. So now they've tried to make you know. So at that time, Rovers had a three or four food items on its menu kind of thing. You could order a burger, a franky. Ah, uh, two kinds of burgers, mm. veg and non-veg. Uh, Frankie, something with fish. Maybe four or five things they had. Mm. First place where you had Pepsi. So 1991 is also the year, and as you know, yeah. beverages are a big part of my life. Later on, I worked yeah. with Coca-Cola. So this is also the time when you are first discovering, you know, the big cola guy. Because till that time, there was only thumbs up. Mm. I mean, there were a, f- a few other local colas which you used to enjoy, but Coke and Pepsi both are coming into India at roughly that time, mm. right? So, but Rover. Um, so it had thumbs up earlier and then got a Pepsi fountain later, but earlier it had all these things which were sort of in the Lucknow of that time, sort of out of reach and taboo. So you were excited about it, but now if you go to Rovers, one they have a place to sit and you can order chola batura and pav bhaji. I'm nothing against chola batura pav bhaji, but <laughs> Rovers was not the place to serve all this. Yeah. Uh, burgers were big, uh, so Rovers burger. And then there were people making bigger burgers in Lucknow. 
But the burger was essentially like your mad kalu tikki mm. burger, right? Mm. Because and also I grew up in a vegetarian family. Mm. I I turned carnivorous later. Yeah. Uh, so at that time we I didn't eat uh, anything uh, normal. Uh, but so but the burger still was just one big patty, right? Two buns. Mm. So there a lot of stuff so happened. Very simple. Yeah, we used to we used to enjoy it. And then um, I mean I'm saying I'm I I was vegetarian, but I think in school because Lucknow so bun kebab was a big thing, okay, and I think so. sometimes inadvertently, sometimes knowingly but acting like it's inadvertent, I <laughs> did eat uh, bun kebab, uh, which was brilliant. So those three so pizza, burger, kebab. Bun kebab is just kebab, bun kebab inside a bun. Okay. So it's the most straightforward snack. It's like um, in Delhi you have uh, chola kulcha. Yeah. So in Lucknow at that time the I think the easy snack, I mean not everywhere but, but like, a lot of places because Lucknow is famous for its kebabs yeah. and uh, it's easy to put it in a bun. So just and, yeah. And uh, who was? Do you have any idea who the prime minister was at that time? Oh yeah. So, so see, this is also very interesting. I'll just take you back very quickly a little bit. Nineteen eighty-nine, Congress loses the election. First time yeah. in living memory for us, and we used to think, "Oh, what is this?" Because <laughs> till then, who's in power? Congress yes, is in power, and that too, Indira Gandhi is in power. Rajiv Gandhi is in power. So they lose the election to this coalition, and uh, later on, my politics changed. But at that time, we didn't like it. I mean, later on my politics changed again, but that's a separate story. <laughs> so, so we didn't like it. We, but, and I realized it's because we were the privileged lot. Like my family, because of different generation, you benefited from the continuity of the Congress in a way. No one was consciously doing mm. it. We were like, oh, what is this? And a lot of people like us, the well-off people or affluent people across India, were very worried that who has come to power? Who are these people? Can they even speak English? You know, that time we used to worry a lot about this. Do these days people worry about it a lot less, which yeah. is great. Those days we had all of these complexes that if they go outside India, will they be able to speak? It? Like oh, such yeah. questions you used to think of. And so this uh, coalition government happened. Then that lasted for a while. Then another coalition government with the support of the Congress happened. That lasted for a while. Then this election happened. Rajiv Gandhi got assassinated. Yeah. Sympathy wave election it was called. Congress comes back to power. But, but India had this balance of payments crisis, and that's the first time I understood a lot of basic economic terms that we didn't have enough foreign exchange to cover for our imports. Plus, overall, the policy direction being set under Narasimha Rao, and uh, so he was the prime minister, and Manmohan Singh, who later became prime minister but was the finance minister at that time. These guys sort of opened up India. At that time, I didn't know what opened up India meant, except that now you saw. There was a lot of excitement yeah. in the market. Like you could see colorful billboards coming up yeah. for Nike, mm. you know, stuff like yeah. that, which was always only those people who are living in America come to India for some vacation, drink only bisleri water. You know, like the oh, I I I can't drink water, <laughs> and all of this used to be big then. We used to be in awe of such people. Like your generation probably makes fun of these people. For us, these people were like oh, these are very uh, some you know. Who are these people? You know, so <laughs> this so, is very different. Ha! Uh-huh. So suddenly we had all of these things happening, which we associated with those NRIs coming home for occasion uh, for vacation. Uh, we didn't have too many of those, but whoever were there also brought the same trappings. Uh, so Narasimha Rao, Prime Minister, Manmohan Singh, Finance Minister, and suddenly you have Coke and Pepsi and Levi's and Nike. I don't know what else was <laughs> happening. In, That's a I have read it later. I uh, can understand it better now, but at that time 
all that mattered to me was this is good government there is coke there is pepsi <laughs> there is levis there is nike uh, not necessarily things i get all the time but i i would rather see them around me Let's so suddenly everything good. around you had these brands and billboards and stuff that's that was really that, that must be a really great thing for you at that time yeah yeah, yeah. okay so uh, now can you tell me who your idol was when you were 13 i think um, it'll for 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 my generation i think amitabh bachchan was definitely one i think uh, this is just after his film shehanshah came out so like why was he he was just big you know like uh, he, he i i think we acquired uh, we, we as a generation i think we acquired our love of amitabh or our adoration of amitabh bachchan is acquired from our parents generation yeah. that generation made him big with shole Huh. and etc etc which we acquired they used to say oh let watch show <laughs> so we acquired it because your parents like it so you like it so you like ha um so amitabh bachchan was an acquired kind of idol i really liked uh, mohammad azizuddin uh why uh, <laughs> so he was a great batsman he was very different he made his debut in my time so i felt like so when i was 7 in 1985 he made his debut stunning debut but in 1990 uh, he played this innings uh, at lords which we only listened to on radio because it yeah. wasn't on tv <laughs> so but the commentary was like oh such risks and this and that's <laughs> such elegant india was going to lose that test oh. but azhar's batting was such that everybody was going crazy about it So in 1991, I remember I used to play cricket. That's probably the last 91, 92 is probably the last time I thought I'll play cricket for India. Like all, so many people used to think that everyone in that generation used to think that. But why? So so I mean, one is cricket, and you uh, if you're doing well in your school cricket, class cricket, house cricket, and that year I did very well. In fact, in 1991, I didn't get out even once. So I had an infinite batting average. That's right. Uh, 12 matches. and i never got out my team lost 11 out of 12 matches but i was not getting out so <laughs> so, so i you were happy in your own yeah team. and because my team was playing so poorly so they i got promoted from 5 to 4 then i was opening the batting i was still not getting out so i used to think i have some special gift that i'll not get out but i used to try and bat like him like with the like when shadow batting or in actual matches i tried to hit fours like with my wrists <laughs> so so azhar was a big idol uh, which later on led to a lot of sadness when a lot of his story, his fall from grace happened yeah. i really like manmohan singh yeah. i remember his budget speech uh, again like i said i have no idea what he's talking about but everyone <laughs> in the house is listening like you know one channel yeah. <laughs> so budget speech you're listening to it. i have no idea what he's talking of duty tax and no idea not not much interest to be honest i wasn't asking people okay. what does yeah. but then he would break into urdu poetry okay and i used to find that so many because <laughs> he's speaking proper english and then okay. he just says now i'll tell you he doesn't even say that he just cuts into urdu poetry and his delivery was in urdu was very good he wasn't a great speaker of english but i think the shift he used to bring in so i really liked him i liked uh, rajiv gandhi Uh, at that time, no. I mean, when I was younger, I liked Rajiv Gandhi. At that, till that time, I had some distance. My politics had changed a little bit, and at that time, there was this whole the first Ayodhya issue had started. Okay. And so uh, I was a bit uh, going to that side of things. Huh. So L K Advani, I was I liked, 
And now if I tell a friend that, they'll be very surprised because I have very strong anti-right-wing views now. So there was this interesting time in which I could reconcile. I like Rajiv Gandhi. I like this new guy, Elke Dhani. A lot of changing of your mind. And he was doing this Rath Yatra. So we used to get these news cassettes. Uh, so news, independent news used to come through these cassettes. A company was doing thing, this thing called news track. Hmm. So once a week or month, I don't remember, you got a news track video cassette. So on that, there used to be a lot of Advani speeches. And uh, yeah, I think there was some, I can't say I liked him, but, uh, but you know, he, he was someone big in my head, Azhar and uh, Manmohan Singh. I think that's the mix. Okay. There's something I get a lot from my parents, which is advice. Because hmm. so that I can like move through my day and I can go like, I can just push all of all my like bad things away to the side and I can always think about what my parents tell me to do. So uh, as what was the advice you got from your parents when you were 30? Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so one, you know, I think that will be true of your parents also as in when they were kids that in, in a certain kind of Indian family, there was always this basic idea that you will always focus on your studies yeah. no matter what so there was that uh, my parents weren't crazy about it which was great so that gave me time to do a lot of this and you know talk about other stuff so they they used to say yeah my grandfather and grandmother were very important influences because we used to live in one house and in fact he passed away in 1991 okay. it was a big uh, event in my life i always think so he used to teach me maths and this and that so the tacit idea was I mean, it was never really pushed, but the tacit idea was be good at studies, be better than good at maths. <laughs> English was supposed to be important anyway. Yeah. So I think maths and English within studies, then, but there was also be good at sports. So my, like, my parents indulged a lot of these other things. Like if there was a, an important cricket match in the day or, it, or the US Open final used to be on TV, but yeah. that used to happen, end at 4 a.m. in the morning India time. Uh, they would say, oh, okay, he watched the US Open final, let him sleep and not go to school today. <laughs> so they were cool that way. <laughs> so, uh, or, or they would say, okay, today is this big match uh, and so, okay, we'll come in the interval and we'll ask for you to be sent home or something. <laughs> so they, they, they indulged a lot of these uh, side pursuits, uh, but there was a, a generally understood sense that yes, do well on studies, but do participate in sports and yeah. like that. So, I didn't have the insane pressure that a lot of kids of my generation had. Um, that was more default at that time. It has changed now. Yeah. I think. I mean, at least for... Uh, it has yeah, changed. Yeah. yeah. So, that was uh, broadly the story that, you know, just do a lot of things, find your thing, but never go below a certain level yeah. in your studies. So, while they were not saying come first, come first, come first, but I'm pretty sure if I came back and say, said I got rank 20th, I would probably get into trouble. Probably till rank 15th, I may not get it. I don't know. I usually used to be 6th, 5th to 15th in class. We, we <laughs> so, don't have ranks. You don't have ranks now. Yeah, I, 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 I learned that. That's quite good. Uh, that used to be a big pressure, especially in summer vacations when you're meeting extended family. Everyone sitting around and suddenly some mossy or someone will start asking. <laughs> and then everyone else in your family is coming first and you are the one who says 14th <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly you think oh, oh where am I stuck so ranks were not good yeah. 
So it's changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's very nice. Yeah, um, that's um, that's a good thing. I like that. Okay. Really nice. So now we've reached to the end of our podcast, Excellent. and I have one final question, yeah. which is that: Do you have any advice to all uh, to me and all the people who are listening to this podcast? Ah, interesting. I uh, I don't know if I have advice. I think uh, I'll tell you what advice I would give to my thirteen-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, that's so good. Yeah, so I would. I was too worried about too many things. I was too hung up about, or I was taking the idea of my future way too seriously. Mm. Mm, I was not aware of the privilege I had, and this is not extreme privilege. My family wasn't wealthy, but privilege just in terms of being sent to a decent school, yeah. uh, knowing English and maths. I think if you have those three things, uh, and even if you have zero inheritance. and usually people have some inheritance but even if you have zero inheritance and you have decent english decent maths uh in india you will always have a more than comfortable life uh so i shouldn't have been so hung up about what will happen mm. i could have been much more relaxed yeah i was too worried Like about now uh, i'm too relaxed and i have to be in i think if you're too relaxed you should be too relaxed <laughs> because that is a better way to be you can uh You can then do much more. Yeah, uh, but then you have to focus on your studies as well. Ah, I mean, like, but ah, like at that time you were too like stiff and all this. What did yeah, you say? Yeah, too worried. Okay. Uh, for for someone that young, uh, and without even direct pressure, just this general sense. There's this reservation story going on in politics that mm. used to scare. You know that explained a lot of the anxiety. Then people used to say, "Oh, you will be our kids won't get admission," and then you would think, "Oh, are they talking it's about my kind of people who yeah. surrounded my friends?" Too. Yeah, but life was has turned out to be much much easier. Yeah. Uh, all it seems so much more difficult in terms of what's coming ahead. That's it was good. never going to be. No, it's not. It's not all that stress. I would have liked to do without. Oh. So my advice is that if you are feeling any kind of stress about the long term. Like everyone feels some stress, and stress is important yeah. to do things. Also, some yeah. level of stress is good. But if you're feeling any kind of stress about a ten-year horizon, or a five-year horizon, or a twenty-year horizon, or a forty-year horizon, do not feel that stress. That stress is grossly misplaced. Yeah, you totally do away with it. If you're feeling some stress about, oh, I have to quickly go to basketball practice or music hmm. or whatever art, I have to go there, I have to reach there is traffic. How will I get there? That stress is good stress. That's how you manage to do things. But if you're feeling like a long-term existential stress, that oh, when I'm twenty-five, what will be? Everything will be fine. Yeah. So, so I think that is uh, important to understand. Obviously, not everyone is that lucky. I am assuming just by the virtue that we are doing our podcast in English, everyone is fortunate enough, and English itself is a sign of privilege in India and ensures that you need not worry about too many things. Yeah. So I'm I'm putting the privilege filter there. Like some people have to worry. Right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, but a lot of us worry when we don't have to worry, right? <laughs> especially not about those horizons. So that's my advice. Don't worry about the long term. If you have short term, like this month, this week, this day stress, that's fine. If you have this, the two years later, fifteen years later, uh, don't take that stress. That's misplaced. Is what my advice is. So thank you, Suhas, for your time thank and you. for sharing your lovely memories with us. Today. Thank you. It was very nice. I enjoyed talking about it. Thank you. Good program. Best of luck. 
So that brings us to the end of yet another episode of When I Was 13. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did putting it together. For me, at 13, meeting people and getting to know their world when they were 13 opens up a world that I will possibly never get to know otherwise. Do not forget to subscribe to this podcast on your Android or iPhone. And yes, I am on Instagram and you can follow me on when underscore I underscore was 13. Catch you soon with yet another interesting conversation on when I was 13.